Isn't it great when Jesus hangs out with his people? Let's stay in that place. Let's stay in that place of hanging out with Jesus this morning. And then we're going to have some fun at the end. What time are we at? We've got time for fun, I think. Thank you, guys. For the next four weeks, we're going to delve into uh, a major uh, piece of the Bible. It's in the New Testament, and it's Ephesians. And we're going to call this series Encountering Ephesians. And I'm hoping that really, as we learn some stuff on a Sunday, as we explore some things on a Sunday, that each of us will go away, perhaps in Connect Group, which is our midweek gatherings, or perhaps on a morning or evening, whenever you do your devotion, or on the road, perhaps in the car, that you'll also jump in as well and follow some of the passages and just really reread it again. Uh, don't pro- oh, that's good. I thought on the next slide already. So we're going to look at Encounter in Ephesians. Um, Ephesians is filled with gratitude. For the saving grace that God has shown his people. Um, Because it's only by God's grace, isn't it, that we've been chosen. Check out this list. This is what Ephesians teaches us. And for those who've been a part of the faith for a little while, we can kind of get numb to this. But this is what Ephesians tells us. This is uh, from scripture what we pick out of Ephesians. It tells us that as believers we've been chosen, forgiven, called his family, made his children promised eternal blessings. You excited yet? I mean, I could just pop at that one. Uh, And given the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, to mark us as being blessed forevermore. Seven, 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 seven benefits of being a believer of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? I don't know what you've come to church with this morning. Uh, Whether you are feeling like you are a child of God or whether you're feeling chosen or forgiven or called his family. But how amazing that you promised eternal blessings. And I heard a conversation at Alpha midweek, and it was brilliant. And somebody had this question. I mean, the classics came out. Dinosaurs, bad things in the world. I mean, I love it. They're really good, because you just get stuck in. But um, one of the responses from someone on the table was this. I loved it. They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're, you're viewing everything as though, as though your life's so important, when actually you've got to take eternity into perspective. And I was like, wow, that top answer, brilliant. I thought that was really good. We're eternal beings. Uh, we know St. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, but also we think that one of his disciples later on helped kind of bring it together as well. Some of the language is a bit different to some of the books. We know from Ephesians 1 that it starts with a welcome. St. Paul does this classic thing where he says, uh, to the church I'm writing to. And traditionally St. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. But when it comes to Ephesus, where Ephesians uh, was written, actually Paul's probably writing to a bunch of smaller churches rather than the whole church. So we know St. Paul was writing it. He wrote it around 54 uh, AD. We know Jesus departed this world around 33 AD. So we're talking 20 odd years after Jesus has disappeared. St. Paul has taken the gospel to the coast and he's writing to the church. And he's encouraging the church. And, and Paul, as we read his text, is saying, I am delighted at the progress that you as a church are making. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to go on this wild adventure. Of delving into scripture and bringing it right to uh, the front and centre of all that we're doing. And then we're going to just have a time of ministry and see what God wants to do uh, with his people. So, 
all of us, as we read, and um, we'll jump into loads of scripture, don't worry, there's loads to get through. But we are totally aware, aren't we, that all of us have got some grasp, I think, of the concept of earning. Am I right? Whether we uh, financially earn a salary, uh, perhaps some earn benefits for various things, but this idea of income, we think relationally around the thing of earning as well. And, and that whole phrase of earning somebody's trust. And we understand that actually, relationally, we earn people's favour. It could be a boss. It could be a situation. We want to please, don't we? This thing is in us about earning. Ephesians tells us, unequivocally, without a shadow of a doubt, that salvation can never be earned. Your good is not good enough. I think we all understand that. And this is the basics of the gospel. But St. Paul writes to the church, he says, actually, salvation has got to be found from outside of yourself. You need a saviour. And for some people, they call the church a lifeboat, don't they? We're a lifeboat. We're bobbing about in the throes and the winds and and, and the seas of life, throwing life jackets and life vessels at people who are splashing about and saying, come on, get on board. This is a safe place. And actually, it's, it's true. When we look at this idea of salvation, we know, when we look at the things we think, the things we do, the moments we've said, oh no, I can't believe I did that, or thought that, or said that, actually we know that our hearts are deceptive. That the stuff in us that isn't good. But actually, God says, I'm sending a life jacket for you. Salvation is found from outside of yourself. And so Ephesians 2 says that salvation is a gift that can't be earned. It's a sheer gift. It's given to us. It says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Now for some of us, we'll harken way back. When I first believed, there was black and white TVs and dinosaurs running about. I'm joking. But there was definitely black and white TVs. And, um, but that moment of saying yes to him... Or perhaps for some of us, it was those moments. Perhaps it was a journey for some of us of maybe going to church or perhaps it was a Billy Graham thing or perhaps it was a youth group. Those moments or moments of coming to believe. There was something happened in us where something changed, something clicked. And the Bible says, God saved you that moment you believed. And you can't take the credit for it, although we'd like to, because this is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Our good was never quite good enough. And so the narrative of Ephesians, as we delve in today, it's the why behind why we praise. Why we praise, why we worship, why we come to church, why we sing these songs, why we we give our time and our energy and our sacrifice. Because actually we've discovered the good gift from God, haven't we church? He saved us, although we didn't deserve it. So this is how Paul underpins Ephesians. This letter, it says, is from Paul. This bit's not on the screen. This is the start of the letter. It says, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's holy people. Do you see yourself as holy today, church? Who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And then we'll read the next bit. And this is, follow with me on the screen. This is God's amazing grace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Let's just rewind that a second. Even before he made the world. He chose us. And he knew the cost that I was going to take to choose you and choose me. So before he pressed play on everything, he'd already counted the cost. He knew at which point in the narrative Jesus had to come in and change everybody's eternities. He knew that this perfect creation would have its own choice and reason to either say yes God or no thank you. So God already devised this plan where he chose us in the midst of calamity to say I know there's going to be a great cost. But I love you so much. Now I know when we come to church, we like, we've heard this a million times. We know the gospel story. We know Jesus died, he rose again, blah, 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 blah. Shame on us. Because isn't that profound stuff for our lives? If we understand the context and what that means for us. And I listed seven factors earlier on. Seven factors of what it means when we say yes to Jesus. How it changes everything in our lives. And so St. Paul is highlighting these. And he said this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. I'm not sure if anybody in here has been adopted. I went for adoption once, it broke down. They wanted a little girl with pigtails, they got me. It lasted six months. But actually there's something special around being adopted, isn't there? And actually, I think it's something we skim over in the New Testament. And we think, yeah, we've been adopted in. But just imagine for a moment, you haven't got a family. Imagine for a moment that you uh, are coming into this new relationship. It's surprise, it's mystery. There's nerves. I mean, there's so much to that, right? But actually, God has given us his royal seal of approval. He's calling us his own. In Jewish custom, when a father was well pleased with his boy or his girl, he used to do this thing. He used to take off his cloak and he used to put it over his shoulders. And the Jewish people, they love symbolism. And that symbolizes covering. It symbolizes, you are wearing my robe. You are mine. Look look at the way you're dressed. And this picture that Paul is describing to the early church is this one of covering. Of being brought in. Being adopted. Stepping outside of his plan, his purposes, straight into the middle of it. Isn't that incredible? And so Paul's saying... God's always had it in mind that he was going to adopt you. He was going to call you. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God. We sing our guts up. We give our lives. We serve. We look for opportunities to share faith. We, we live with expectation. We praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is rich in kindness and grace. That he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. Is this exciting anybody church? Shall I sit down? I mean this is profound stuff. And Now I know some of us want this in the Greek. We want this in the ancient Greek. But this is probably some of the most profound stuff you'll ever read in the Bible. It's there in black and white. He purchased us. He purchased us with the blood of his son. And so he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. 
So God reveals his plan to us. And we all get to inherit and step into that game. First the Jews, but then also to the Gentiles. Verse 14 says this. The spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he has promised. And that he has purchased us to be his people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. His spirit is given. I was reading this morning in my daily devotion from Rick Warren. And it said actually lots of us come to church wanting to experience an emotion. We want to come to church experiencing something. And he wasn't saying that's wrong, but he was saying actually worship isn't about experiencing necessarily an emotional thing or a tangible thing. But it's actually just lifting high the truth that we already know. So it's saying, God, we worship you because you've done all these wonderful things that we read about. So Paul's saying, and that's why we praise and glorify him. And the Spirit's given to help us, to be the, uh, the, I suppose, the oil in the engine. To allow us to get going, to release creativity, to, to speak amongst these people. And in a few moments, we're going to let the Spirit just speak to us and move in power this morning. But actually, we might have come to church this morning with a thought of, it's been a while since I've experienced the presence of God. What do I mean by experience the presence of God? You see, some things happen when God of the universe hangs out in a room with his people. And sometimes it's tangible. Sometimes it's, it's, it's emotional. We connect, don't we? And it can bring either deep stuff from within us, hurt, anxiety, stress points. But equally, it can bring up real joy. That, you know, some people giggle and, and just get really happy and have a real peace. When actually the stuff in their lives that should speak otherwise. It should say, you shouldn't be feeling peaceful right now. You should be worried and anxious. But when God shows up and we focus on him, there's a stillness that comes. You've experienced that before? And so Paul said, actually, the Spirit's here. He's helping us connect with God. It takes our focus from our own needs and our own desires, our own worries and anxieties. And instead it lifts us supernaturally to a place of praise and worship. And the Bible says that when we gather and we worship God, that his presence is poured out. And I said that sometimes it's tangible. And we experience things and we might get words or pictures or uh, sometimes you might want to sing a, a joyous song. It does weird things. I was at a place this week with a bunch of Christian leaders and, and this guy was prayed for. And uh, he did the best, and this was not a joke, and he did the best dance ever. It was amazing, just freedom and just, just great stuff when God shows up. But equally, it doesn't have to be a feeling or a tangible thing. It can be the deep presence that brings a stillness to our souls. And perhaps you've come to church this morning with that symbolic act of receiving from the table. And that's just what you needed. Lord, I needed to feed from you. I needed a touch from heaven. Verse 15 says, Ever since I heard of your strong faith, this is St. Paul writing to the church, in the Lord Jesus, and your love for God's people everywhere. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. 
You might understand him more. You might put his word into practice in your workplace, in your family life, in your relationship, in your future relationships. That you'd have enlightenment. So that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. Then he says, I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Wow. His incredible power. Who needs some of God's incredible power in their life? I, I do. I want some. Absolutely. And, and Paul's saying, it's available. Now, we like to tone this down, don't we? We like to just dilute this and everything else over the years. But to the early church, this is exciting. Because they just, 20 years on, heard about Jesus. They've heard eyewitness accounts of Jesus changing lives. Boy, are they hungry. They want a piece of this. They want to see their communities transformed. And so Paul's saying, you can see it. You can see it. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in heaven. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. That's right, because Paul's pointing to eternity. Not just this little 70 year bit here, but he's saying, guys, look up, focus, get passionate, watch God transform your life, because it's going to impact all of this. But actually, so often, and this is not, 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 this is not a criticism, but I focus so often on my day, my week, my agenda. Just for giggles yesterday, I was going to write a little list of all the things I'm worried about. I was. And isn't it interesting how our focus can be all on that? But actually, Paul's writing this stuff. He's penning this stuff down because he's experienced it. And also because he knows it's the mandate of the church to harness the power of God. But I know we don't feel powerful. We often feel powerless. We often feel probably insignificant. We probably feel like we're just going through this slog. And where is God in my week to week, in my day to day? That thing I've been praying for for a while still hasn't happened. That thing I haven't got the answers for, I'm still clueless. And actually all these things become this great barrier to actually we're called to praise and worship him. As we praise and we worship him, the natural realms of life will begin to shift as God's power breaks through. Is this making sense to anybody? I've been reading this all week and I've just been really amazed by it. So God has put all things under the authority of Jesus Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of his church, his bride, his people. Where's everyone going? Oh no, right. (laughs) I've been here for a few weeks. I know Rachel was great last week and we had some good speakers. Back to me. But, um, but that's, the fund- that's the fundamentals. That's Paul writing to the early church. And isn't it interesting how 2,000 years on, 2,000 miles away, that letter to us is still so, so, so important. Why? Because it embodies and encompasses all the truths that we know about God. But today, we've been chosen, we've been forgiven. We've been called his family. We've been made his children. We've been promised eternal blessings. And we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Now I know because I've been away a couple of weeks, that just a couple of weeks ago when I came back, that there was two people just that week who gave their life to Jesus alone. Isn't that incredible? God's at work. He's alive and active. And he wants to empower his church today. And so I don't know if our pastoral team are here. We're a bit thin on the ground. But we're going to just open this time up once the kids get back in, just to really scare them. And we're going to just, uh, we're going to delve into that power that Paul was writing about. And that power that we've all experienced. And we're going to come today, and you can stay where you are, we can stand in the middle, you can grab a mate, we can do whatever we want, because this is not a formalised church, we're not a religion, we're a living organism. And we move, and we breathe, and we do what we want. But today, in your own space, I want you, if you've got needs and wants, because the Bible says we bring our proclamation, we bring our worship, we bring our adoration, and then we bring our supplication. That means... We say thank you before we bring the ask. And I know so often in prayer time we're like, Lord, here's my list. By the way, you're great. But no, the Bible says, say thanks first. Say you're great first. Let his presence flow. And then you say, God, but also here's the things that we want to see today. And so I just wonder, what is God doing in our midst? I know he's calling us to prayer. And with prayer, there always comes a real moment of repentance. A moment of Getting right with God. And so this morning I want to call us as a church to repent. I don't mean hark up sins from 40 years ago. Just for the sake of it. But I think just for some of us, we understand that actually there's a disconnect. And this morning, through that invitation that God offers us, we say, Lord, here's the things that I'm thinking about. I want to nail it to the cross. I want to come to you. I want to be filled with your power. And so that's what for some of us we're going to do and I know for some of us there are real physical things this morning in church and I believe that reading the Bible and my experience of his personality he wants to do good things in our midst and he wants to lavish his presence on us and so I wonder if there are any ailments if people are sick ill aching I wonder if mentally some of us are anxious and stressed and worried about stuff and we're going to come through that invitation this morning into his presence and we're going to pray for his power so already penny you're up already i haven't even said what i want you to pray for i love penny she's great <laughs> we're going to pray for the presence of god now he's, he already is here but we're going to pray over particular things so let's be brave let's uh where do we start this morning should we just make ourselves right before him and see where we go Jesus, we ask for your freedom in this church this morning. We ask that each of us would feel so comfortable, yet almost uncomfortable as well. That as we move from the point where we've been to the point where you're taking us, we realise within that there's this moment of submission to you. That Jesus, right now, in the many lives that are in this room and our plans and our futures. That we want to be right with you. 
And Jesus, we want to say we're sorry for the times where we've done it our own way. The times we think we're invincible. Or we've got the best plan or the best outcome. Or perhaps the days where we just don't invite you into our agenda at all. Lord, we're so sorry. We understand that we run out of steam when we try and do it our own way. And this morning we say yes to your invitation, Jesus. Knowing that there's power and authority available for every part of our lives when we come into your presence. And so Jesus, by your very act of dying on the cross, getting death in a headlock, and rising three days later, we know that this morning we can stand blameless before our Father. Pure, whiter than white, our souls power washed. Like you call us to be holy, you call us to be set apart. And so, Father, right now as we gather in that moment, would you come in your power? Do what you want to do. That Holy Spirit, you would move among us right now. That you'd rest on your people. You'd bring healing and joy. And Spirit of the living God, we say come. Increase your presence now.